0: Welcome to Willosophy. I'm Will Anderson. Uh, Well, actually, the podcast is called Willosophy with Will Anderson. I always stumble over this at the start. I'm sure people are already sick of me doing some little riff on this, but for people who are new to the podcast, it used to be called Willosophy, and then I didn't do it for long enough that iTunes went, Fuck you. Uh, So then basically the easiest thing to do rather than get it restarted was that I had to start a whole new podcast. So it's now officially called Willosophy with Will Anderson. I sometimes have people messaging me on the internet and stuff going, I can't download the new episodes. And that's because... They're on the old feed that doesn't download anymore. So, uh, to be honest, I'm probably giving you information you don't need because you found it. You're listening to this. But if you have an idiot friend, you might need to explain it to them. They might not be an idiot. They might just be naive. They might not have said... Anyway, this is getting longer every week and it is completely unnecessary. All I was really going to say was, hi, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, person who's my guest today. um, Who are you?
1: I'm Alice Fraser. I am... Uh, deliberately difficult to sum up.
0: <laughs> when you say deliberately difficult, what do you mean deliberately difficult? Well,
1: I just, I think uh, I've always um, wanted to be difficult to sum up because I, I don't know things that things that are not predictable interest me.
0: Okay, but is it a style? Do you say you want you want to be? hard to sum up like i feel like there's a difference in the world of being someone who is hard to sum up and being someone who deliberately sets out to be hard to sum up and i'm not making a value judgment one way or the other but i do think there is the distinction and i'm interested in like the way that you phrase that and what your distinction is tell me more about that
1: i think it's this the summing up that i would say is the thing that i don't want to do because nothing fits like i would say i'm a comedian but i don't think i'm that funny i i i do comedy rather than am comedy if you know like it doesn't fit i don't feel like that i don't feel like i'm a writer because i've published a book or anything i don't i you know i'm there are sort of basic things i'm a daughter and a sister and a all of that stuff but i i would i would feel false saying that i am any of those things maybe Do
0: do you drink beer no, I don't. Amy just brought in some beer. We just started the podcast, but Amy went and got some beer. And now Ramona has decided to jump up. She, Ramona's just had a recent operation. She had to have an operation on her ingrown tail. And she just, yeah, you can have her up or she can uh, stay there on the ground. I once had an ingrown
1: nail.
0: And uh, so she had to have an operation. And I don't know if she understands like what the operation is, but she's recovering from that operation at the moment, which is good.
1: She's recovering but, by licking me. Which yeah, she's weird.
0: very friendly, Ramona. She's a she's a great dog. She's a very very friendly dog, and we were really worried about her when we had to take her in for an operation, weren't we? But anyway, that's the we, we're two minutes in, and I'm derailed talking about the dog, which is probably about as interesting to people as me banging on about the title of the podcast. So,
1: well, I don't know. I feel it's good to distract people from my wanky answer to no. Yeah. no, no, no. simple a,
0: question. Uh, firstly, this is a safe space. There is no such thing as a wanky answer. In fact, this whole podcast is designed for the very purpose of allowing people a space to be wanky about things or talk about things or explain parts of their life that you don't have a safe environment to do that otherwise. That's the oh. entire point of this podcast. So at no stage feel like in fact this should be the opposite this should be the place where you come to and my hope is that people will feel the freedom to be able to talk about things and know they're in a supportive environment like I mean, I've sat in this exact room that we're sitting in and had a conversation with Nazim Hussain about his late belief in Islam. And, you know, it's a fascinating conversation for me for a person who doesn't believe in any you know type of God or any type of organized religion. There's an episode that'll go up after this with a, a great dude uh, from Perth who's a chaplain called, I think he's a chaplain called Jared McKenna. Yeah, he's and, a... And uh, he runs a thing called the First Home Project, which is for refugees. Faith activist. I love Jared. He's a faith Jared, activist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And he has such a cool story. And we talk about Jesus and how much he loves Jesus for two hours. You know, like, this is what it should be about. Do you have any belief, by the way, what, now that we're on to this?
1: Uh, I was brought up Buddhist. Um, I guess that has shaped my basic worldview. I'd, I'd say that being brought up Buddhist, you're kind of anti-faith. So
0: how does that? When you say you're brought up Buddhist, because these days we live in a day and an age, particularly for me, forty one years old, where pretty much everyone was a Buddhist at some stage.
1: Yes, like so you know,
0: and we live in the era of mindfulness. You can't, yeah. you know, you know when there's a news.com.au article about mindfulness every every second day. You're like, ah, oh, fuck, yeah. mindfulness is the new avocado. Yes, <laughs> it's exactly.
1: Everywhere now, which is, and I loved
0: it before it was everywhere.
1: Yeah, which is why I say that. I think that I was brought up Buddhist to sort of, I was I was Buddhist before it was cool.
0: Yeah. Right. Right, you're old school. Yeah. you're legit.
1: Well, I, I, my dad. I loved your
0: one hand clapping before your new. Yeah, him. exactly, yeah.
1: exactly. I, um, my dad was Jewish, uh, the son of a Holocaust survivor, uh-huh. and he, obviously, well, not obviously, but it's pretty understandable he didn't really believe in God. It happens when you have no relatives.
0: Um, I mean, but that's a that's interesting to me because obviously some people have had the opposite experience of that. That they, they've held on to their faith so hard and it's the one I live in a predominantly Jewish area and I have a lot of Jewish friends and it's the one that I I've been to a couple of really traditional Jewish weddings like you know where it's the men and women are separated at the start and it's all the traditions and all the rituals and part of the fascination for me being at an event like that is talking to everyone about well why do you do this and where did this come from and you know why is this a tradition but I find that a lot of people have that thing of like the holocaust actually gave them more faith
1: Yes, I don't think that my granny agreed with that. Uh, certainly, my dad didn't, and so he went and became a philosophy teacher and tutor. And then he found Buddhism at a certain point in his mid twenties, and kind of was like, "This is the thing for me." Very traditional Burmese Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism, and that was. was uh, so going tell us something about
0: on. that, because I mean, I don't know anything about that, and I'm sure some of our listeners probably don't too. Do you know?
1: Uh, Mahayana is like broad church, and Theravada is like relatively narrow it's based very closely to like the original teachings there's not a lot of interpretation it's, it's what you'd consider fundamentalist buddhism
0: fundamentalist if, buddhism if
1: you had that like if you had that distinction just to compare it to western religions yeah
0: it's like hardcore buddha
1: yeah like proper Pure, relatively strict bud. yeah
0: yeah
1: and, and my no mom like was diagnosed with ms about that time they were going out and she found that meditating and stuff helped her with the dealing with that like psychologically and physically um and so three or four years later my twin brother and i were born just into a family where it was the norm like
0: that's interesting to me that's okay she's here i just had like a mother panic attack i just was like no, she wanted to be in the podcast. She came in and sat sorry, on the laps. Sorry, Just post on Like, sorry, what, mother? Sorry. It's right. uh, So, uh, okay, so it's, uh, your mum having MS is of interest to me, and talk about this as little or as much as you, you feel comfortable, but it's of interest to me that she had MS at a pretty young age. So how old was she when she was first diagnosed?
1: She was diagnosed when she was 26, 27.
0: And for those of us who don't know much about MS or like, you know, I mean, you know, like I, I grew up as a kid doing the MS readathon and, <laughs> you know, I have had a familiar, like, oh, you know. Oh,
1: man. I used to do the MS readathon and I made so much money. And I didn't realize till like last year or the year before, I'd go around asking people, and like, you can sponsor me per book, but I'm quite a fast reader. And they would all give me just stacks of cash. And I didn't realize mum's just five feet behind me. Right. Leaning on her stick, like.
0: Yeah. Oh, by the way, my like an, ma- I'm an just, adorable child yeah, it's who just, loves reading. It's like my mom has What I'm really doing is I'm reading books to help try to save my mum's life. Got yeah. a dollar? Yeah. Good pitch, though.
1: I just didn't realize why people were so generous. Like,
0: right? You were just like people. People, people respond to me. Yeah.
1: People. <laughs> people are really encouraging me with my reading. Like, this is great.
0: And did you read all the books? You did actually read yeah, all the books. Yeah. You weren't one of those people who said you were reading the books in the MS readathon and then just. Uh, took I've, the money, didn't read the books.
1: No, I've always been a giant reading nerd. It's my escape.
0: Tell me what you were into. At, uh, at, like, I mean, for me, Amy makes fun of me all the time because I have this uh, affinity with this series of books by an, an author called David Eddings. Oh, And yeah. I think that later on they actually revealed that he and his wife wrote the books together and she started getting credit towards the end. I can't I – I think her name was Lee, but – uh forgive me if that is wrong but um I love these things and it's like it's one of those traditional you know kid never thinks they're special turns out to be greatest sorcerer of all time yep. but you know like kind of a Harry Pottery thing but like for you know probably 15 16 year olds but yep. I I we were in Portland and we went to this great bookshop Powell's Books in Portland and they had the original book oh, and I bought it amazing and that was the magician
1: en- right and yeah, all of those could yeah. not
0: have enjoyed it more like I was having a great time so do you have what was yours what who was who were the authors that were exciting you as a like when you first got into reading
1: oh man I, ch- I churned through them I think the first Novels, the non picture books that I read were the Narnia series. Okay. I, I remember feeling. Did like,
0: you know it was about God?
1: I felt pretty badly tricked at the end.
0: Right. That was like an M. Night Shy Milan style move.
1: Yeah. I was You're like, like, hang on. Oh, Bruce uh, Willis has been dead the whole time and Aslan's Jesus. Fuck. Yeah. I thought, always thought that if you were a religious person, like a Christian, that would have been an awesome. The best, that would right? have been amazing. You're like, oh my God, it's all the whole time I've been.
0: You're like, absolutely right. It would right? have been so
1: good. Because that was-
0: that's like me finding out that, like, Batman is like a, a Western Bulldog supporter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if the reveal at the end is that, oh, what have you done, Winnie? What's going on? Oh, you poured out my water so that you can drink it off the floor. Well, that's good when there's electronics around everywhere. Well done. Um, that's okay. She can do that and I'll just keep drinking my beer. That's good. And hope that I don't electrocute myself in the process of this uh, interview.
1: But what a way to go. I mean... I'd get a show out of it.
0: I mean, i got to say, yeah, there's another <laughs> show for you. Uh, well, talk to me about that. I, we'll, we'll skip all over the place because there's lots of things I want to talk to you about. But um, you wrote a show that at least dealt partly uh, with your mother. Yes. Uh, can, can you tell people about that?
1: I can. I'm going to put it out, I think, in a v- video form. I got it filmed. Um, but I... So... The, the It's funny. People have come up to me and said, how could you write that so soon after your mum died? And it's I don't think of it as a show about my mum's death. So to put it uh, in very brief, my mum had MS for 33 years and then last year, uh, about two weeks into the comedy festival in Melbourne, she was diagnosed with cancer. So April and she died in October. So it was a, a hard life. She had... With MS, um, which we haven't yet explained, it's a degenerative neurological disease. It's where your body attacks itself, and it's a um, autoimmune thing. Which and we-
0: there is no cure.
1: No, there's no cure. And um, and what
0: is the treatment for MS? Like what?
1: There's a number of different...
0: Because it gets worse, yes. I guess. There's a de- 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 so she had relapsing
1: and remitting for many years right. and then she had rapid decline. And <laughs> it's one of those diseases that is not predictable because it eats away at your nerves and your brain so you don't know which bits are going to go next. Some people go blind right off. Some people lose the feeling in one part of their body or another. Um, with my mum, she lost her balance and then feeling in her hands and various other things. Uh, then she had some, like... About five or six years ago, maybe longer, she started getting psycho things like um, uh, psychosis and depression up and down and uh, impulse control and what they call emotional lability, which means lability, not emotional ability, but emotional lability, which means going up and down in your emotions for no apparent reason or overreacting to things.
0: I mean, that must be terrible to be out of control of both your body but also your emotions. Like, I mean, as someone in my past who, uh, you know, had a good time, you know, partied a bit in my, like, you know, well, actually more than a bit in like my 20s and stuff. Like, you got used to that idea that there was a debt to pay for any fun that you had. So, Mm. like, if if it was Tuesday and suddenly, like, I used to joke about the fact that doing breakfast radio and partying on the weekends, if on Tuesday at midday, Nelson Mandela walked up to me, I would have been like, hey, you've done some amazing things for the world, but if I stabbed you to death right now, I could sleep in your warm corpse. Like, you know, it's not your real emotion. Yeah. And, and to be out of control of that is like absolutely terrifying to me. Is it genetic?
1: It there is a genetic component, but it's not high. So she was diagnosed before we were born, and that was part of what my parents decided, among other things. Because that's uh, a big
0: thing, and I that was something that I was kind of working towards was this idea of she had it before she had children. Yeah, and I that must have been a huge decision for them. Did they have they t- spoken to you about that? Did they speak to you about that? Yeah. Like, was that something that you guys had conversations about?
1: So one thing is that having, getting pregnant slows the disease. And uh-huh. back when she was diagnosed, there was not a lot of treatment available. So that was a good thing. We were um, medicinal. Right. Uh,
0: <laughs> a lot of people are having babies recreationally. Yeah. But it's good that you can get like, no, no, mine's medicinal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like pop. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, basically. I've got my card.
0: No, I'm just having a baby because this is good.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. And and my dad uh, signed up for it. In You don't really think that well of your parents. And you think better of them as you get older, I think.
0: When you understand.
1: When I was like, oh, my God, he signed up. He didn't know how long she would live for or how bad it would get up get. And he thought, you know, maybe she would die within five years, which is one thing to sign up for. It ended up being that he signed up for looking after her for 33 years. And he could have, like, that was what he signed up for as well. He signed up for anything.
0: And how aware of it, that at the time do you think he was? Like, did you get any sense of that? Like, you know, did, did he really get that idea of, like, oh, this is my life. I'm choosing right now that I'm probably, I'm like, yeah, most likely I'm going to see the person I love most in the world die in front of me in some form or another. We may have children. I may raise like, you know, these kids by myself, yeah. or I may be, you know, a carer. I may be giving my life over to being, you know, like, I mean, at least in you know one aspect of your life, a big component of your life. Do you think that he had a real sense of that even at the time?
1: I think he did. I th- uh, No, yes and no. Like, you can't imagine that. You of course you can't imagine. No, imagine, I mean, of course. Like, there's this one... Everything
0: is harder than you'll think it'll be. Yeah. But there's no reason not to do it.
1: No, exactly. And, I mean, there was just this moment when... Henry and I, my brother and I, were doing our HSC, and there was an accident in the bathroom upstairs that led to um, a poo coming down uh, over the over the landing and across the ceiling and onto the desk where we were working opposite one another. Uh-huh. And, and I just remember, like Henry, ran upstairs and like closed off the shower and everything, and and got Mum to bed. And and then I just remember cleaning. Shit off the ceiling with him and just kind of going into this hysterical zone where we were like you can't like this is how did how is this our life? you know
0: let's talk about this and we'll get to the show because now that we've planted that idea uh, you know I think it'd be nice to walk through some of this when you're a kid and you have a parent who is a different like you know to other kids you know parents. Um, you know, because I assume that most of the, the kids you know, are their parents are essentially healthy in an essentially kind of vague, general way. Everyone has their own issues and problems and yeah. hidden pains and a million other things you wouldn't know about. But this is a visible and, you know, like, you know, this is... you Was it just normal to you because it had always been part of your life? Or did other kids find it weird? Did Was there any times where you resented the fact That mum was, you know, sick, you know, like, uh, tell me me some of what that was like.
1: It's interesting. Whatever
0: that is.
1: I think we felt relatively lucky as a family in Mm. that all of our problems were on the surface. It's quite easy, or maybe not, uh, it's quite easy to put your problems aside as a teenager or whatever. You know, oh, I don't feel like, well, there's something to deal with and there's something that you, you... there's an enemy that you're united against. Right. So you can't make your parents into the enemy because you're working together. And my mum was pretty well until we were about 10. So she was a very good and loving mum. She would get tired and have naps. That was basically the only impact it had on us until we were about 10 or 11. And then she got really sick. And I remember s- sitting down with dad and him saying, okay, Lucy's looked after us very well until now. Now it's our turn. And at 10, you think, okay, sure. That, I'm a grown-up now, double figures. You feel... Like you can do that, and and I think in a way it would have been a lot harder if it had happened later, because when you're ten, your whole life is hanging out with your parents. Like you don't know, you don't oh. have, you don't resent that. It's just okay. This is my job now, and I've got you. your idea of duty and and sort of family is is much simpler and clearer, and you don't have all these complicated hormones and everything going up and down. Um, it didn't really bother me. I I didn't talk about it until I got to uni I was very kind of because my dad was very like this very up and down patriarchal stoic figure I thought that was just how you had to be and so I I was a weird kid at school and I got bullied for it
0: okay so what sort of weirdness like because that's I that I mean I can imagine (laughs) you know what I mean I can just imagine I mean anything at high school kids are brutal like, yeah, you, essentially, your entire teen years. No matter how popular you think any kid is, like, essentially, high school is a giant comedy roast. Oh, fuck! But like, no, but the jokes are just mean and they hurt everybody.
1: If you didn't hate yourself in high school, <coughs> you were the problem. <laughs> like well, if
0: you didn't hate yourself as a high school, you're one of those people who thinks that high school were the best years of your life. Yeah, and that's and you're a- the problem with the world now yeah everything yeah, with
1: everything I just think and your life is probably not as good as you think it is no like,
0: if you think high school was the best years of your life then you're not living well as an adult
1: yeah well give you, me a
0: call I'll give you some tips and <laughs> things to do
1: how can you have had the best time of your life when your brain hadn't even finished forming like okay
0: so how did that manifest itself what describe what sort of yeah you know, kid you were
1: Ah, uh, weird bookish um wouldn't tell people about my private life which uh-huh. is kind of the um, currency in high school is absolutely uh, and I would not be able to go out after school I oh I didn't I wouldn't hang out with kids in in cool ways and I was judgmental of people's priorities in a way that oh, I probably okay. didn't hide well enough
0: what, what do you mean by that uh,
1: oh, oh my god I think he blah 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 whatever and okay. I would just why is why is that important I would uh-huh. And I was a, I, I guess...
0: Which in the context of the kid you were and the world you were living, of course. Yeah. Why is that important? It's not. It's, it's not. But at the same time, like everybody's living... I, I, like I'll give you just a really pop culture analogy to this. When I'm touring the world doing stand-up and stuff, I never watch reality TV. Like, it's just not something that's part of my life. Yeah. So I'll come back to Australian people like, hey, the bachelor or the voice or big brother or whatever. And I'm like, I just don't know. I literally don't know because I've not engaged in that in any way, because that is just fluffery. Yeah. It makes no sense. But I've been back here doing Gruen. I'm incredibly busy at the moment. Most of my life is filled with these, like, I mean, I spent three hours this afternoon looking at fucking ISIS, you know, suicide fucking videos because we're going to talk about ISIS and terrorism on the show and we have to do all the research. And I come home from that, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch the fucking Bachelorette. And yes. then I saw the Bachelorette, the girl who's the Bachelorette, at radio today, and I was really excited. And I said, g'day. And I was like, now, in the grand scheme of life in the world, it's not important. But oh. sometimes those little things become important in your life for very different reasons.
1: Yeah, I just – I I didn't – I mean, I was a kid. I was taking what I could at the time to feel um, some – like, I, 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 I – felt like being strong was the thing that was most important to me at that time right. and, and wasn't particularly compassionate to other people's problems, which were re- re- real genuine problems. Like if you think that, you know, people should have their priorities straight, try getting someone send you a mean tweet and see how that fucks your morning. Right,
0: but also everyone's priorities are different. Yeah. And you know what? Just concentrate on your own priorities. Yeah. As long as someone else's priorities aren't interfering with your priorities, probably not any of our business. That's the thing that, like, I think the world we we just are so. Can you go and
1: say that to teenage me?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my boring version of Back to the Future. We're recording this on Back to the Future. Because
1: the bad combination of uh, being judgmental and not telling people why is uh, just. Well, you come across very differently to
0: what is causing the 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 behaviour you're exhibiting. People would subscribe would. People would think it was because of one thing that it wasn't about at all. It was about something completely different to that. Yeah. But so much of our teenage years and probably so much of our life is built on miscommunication. Yeah. Like I've become a big proponent of that and I wasn't always, but which is if some, i fuck fucked something up or if something has got fucked up, yeah. that like I have to at least within like, you know, a certain small period of time swallow my fucking pride. Yeah. and then address that fucking issue you yeah. know and it's not always a pleasant or you know fun thing to be able to do but it's one of those things where most of the problems in the world are miscommunication Like, if you really talk about most things, somebody else thought you were doing something for a reason that you weren't doing it for, or someone misheard something, or, like, you know, your boss at work thinks you're being lazy, but the truth is that you're having this terrible period at home, and he would be totally sympathetic to that if you just had told him that you were having this terrible period at home, because he, you know, I mean, like, to use the dog as an example, on Monday, I had to cancel some of my press, because... My dog was going like for an operation, you know, and I yeah. wanted to be there with Amy and whatever, you know, and everyone was cool with that. If you just tell people, but in the old days, if you hadn't, or you just felt shitty that morning, you didn't come in, it was like, he's a pain in the ass on a Monday morning. Probably had a big fucking weekend. What a tosser. Has a big fucking, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, and it's like, well, no, no, actually I was just really worried that my
1: yeah, you've got to look after my the, stuff, right. my life, you know, my people.
0: <laughs> and somebody else would be like, "Well, it's just yeah, it's your dog. Don't worry about that." And you're like, "Well, in my life, in my priorities, this is something that is important to me." All right, so you're a kid who's a beautiful. Did you have friends though? Did you have close friends? Though? I
1: had my twin brother.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So, how did you guys? Uh, get along, because being twins and being uh, non-identical twins, yes. I'm going to guess saying he's a brother. Yep. Um, unless we've got an equally surprising <laughs> as Aslan <laughs> being Jesus reveal at the end of this podcast. <laughs> but I, <laughs> um, uh, that can go a bunch of different ways, I imagine. Do you feel like you have a special bond to him?
1: looked after each other a lot growing up and have done since. I think... uh, Did he
0: feel similarly outcast? or No, he he had had a a
1: decent time at school, I think. um, I don't know why. I think he he could separate himself from home stuff better. Boys are not expected to necessarily talk about their private home Uh stuff in the same way, and so they're not judged when they don't. Um, He... Uh, Ramona's back. That's all right. Uh, he, yeah, he went, he went to a different school and there was a different vibe and boys are different from girls and all of that stuff, I think. I think he felt a little bit like uh, these are my friends, you can't have them, when I was lonely and would, like, want to hang out with him and his friends. But we just never fought, really. We never had big arguments or, or any kind of difficulty in that way. Like
0: Ramona, come here. Come on, stop getting in the way of the microphone. (laughs)
1: Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, we got We've always got on well.
0: Okay, so and still do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, do you feel like you have any like special powers though? I'm like, I mean, I don't. Obviously, not special powers. What? No. Who knows? Maybe you do. I want to know. Do you have like a twin? Do you feel like when something bad's happening to him or something I good's mean, happening to him, do you have some sort of sense of that?
1: The first time we ever spent a birthday apart was when we were twenty three. Oh, okay. So like Wow. We, we hung out a lot and went, you know, I don't know, just you I know him as did well you as you know anyone who you spend that boys much time and stuff,
0: with. And did he talk to you about girls and stuff or was that kept private? Uh
1: well, he talked to me about girls. I hit uh that stuff very late. That was probably a side effect of of kind of being a carer, quite young. Was I put all that off until I left home?
0: Which was... totally cuts down on your teenage fingering.
1: Yeah, i had I had zero teenage fingering. Yeah, I didn't. Like. <laughs> I genuinely, I genuinely would say I didn't have any kind of like. Proper sexual contact with boys until I was twenty three and went to Cambridge.
0: Okay, so now t- talk to me about that if you, if you, I mean, if I could be so intrusive, but and yeah, oh, shit, we are really just well. When I say we, between me and the dogs, we've now spilled beer and water on the ground. So this is, I, I, we may not be able to release this because technically, I think in the Australian jurisdiction, this is now on water matters. This is inter- we, international. We cannot publish this. This will be, but um, so tell me about. If you wait that long, what does your attitude to, like, sex and those sort of things become? Because that's, like, I mean, I, I would say that most people somewhere, but well, not most people, but, like, the cliche, I don't even know what the stats are on this. I'm glad I don't know what the stats are on this, to be honest, but yeah. it just feels like maybe 18 to 20, uh, sorry, 16 to 20. That's kind of like, and maybe it's younger now and whatever, but any later than that and you start to go oh yeah okay well you've gone through like uni or whatever and like you know schoolies and high school and all those sort of things where people you know do these you know rites of passage things oh the magic and you of having
1: it. no friends <laughs> so does it
0: then become a big deal or does it become a thing that you're like i don't you i don't care about this because it could go either way i reckon
1: i think it just made me picky yeah, okay. It just was like, well, I'm not going to I've gonna waited have,
0: this long. I'm, I'm, gonna I'm not going to have, like have least,
1: bad sex. Right. Like, yeah. that would be stupid. Um, but Yeah,
0: it's like I, I've been... Yeah, it's like I might as well have a good meal. Yeah. If I'm going to have a meal, yeah, I might as well have a good meal. You right. get
1: past a certain point of just like... There's a, there's a point my, where you just For my first go, meal
0: ever, I'm not going to get like something out of a Bay marie at three o'clock in the morning just because I'm drunk and on the way home.
1: Well, I hit... I mean... I, Let's put, okay, here's a good uh, analogy that's not too graphic. Um, I, at one point, uh, when you don't have any experience, everything becomes quite amazing and intense and a big deal. So you okay. want to kind of experience it at, at a pace, right? right? At, at like a, so you can enjoy each part of it, right? So like say you've only ever drank apple juice with like one part apple juice to nine parts water. You go straight apple juice, it's going to blow the top of your head off. Absolutely. So you just kind of have to take it at your own pace. But I went into Cambridge and it was like hitting puberty all at once. I went through the whole, like, boy crazy thing, like, with just insane force, like, just just crushes on people and, you know, writing heartfelt poetry that I would, you know, just the worst. That the you most. would give to them? No, God, no. Oh, some, but no. Uh, yeah, just oh, just the worst kind of all of puberty in six months probably.
0: I remember when I was like 15, uh, but I, same sort of story. Um, I was in love with this girl at school and uh, I did a picture you might see behind you to say, see this cure poster yeah. behind you? That's like an iconic cure image on that poster there and that image i did like a it was a trace but like a trace that i turned into a drawing, and then i wrote out the lyrics to one of the cure songs like to this girl that i was in love with because like i mean the most embarrassing shit
1: god yeah yeah just exactly that stuff just pining and and all of all of that was a lot of fun um i mean
0: but that is fun like there's nothing more fun than like you know being in the like, I mean, in retrospect, at the time, it can be horribly traumatic and all those sort of things. But you feel like you're actually living. It's interesting to talk about, like, you know, love and sex and stuff, because as people who listen to this podcast regularly know, like, I'm not a believer that, you know, I, I do genuinely believe we're probably an accident in the corner of the universe. And, you know, that... uh there's no particular meaning to our lives and when we die we die and but there are so many things about this world that still go but even if that's true why this why is this that like this is a weird thing to even be that yeah like for me to have lived my life Me, if I'm just like an accident, Mm. right, just uh, a point in evolution with a bunch of different fucking cells and atoms and whatever that came across in the right place and we're all just part of some accident in the corner of a massive fucking universe that we're no way in the centre of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why this?
0: Yeah. Why are we sitting here in these chairs, and me with my dog, and caring about it? And like, why? When you first fall in love, do you feel this? Where does that? I mean, I get evolution and the need to breed and carry on the species, but those things seem bigger than if we're an accident. What we need to be, and
1: well, I make jokes about love all the time because it's such a weird thing, right? It's that thing that just it. it I mean,
0: it's it's the thing at the end of it all that when I when I try to do that thing of going, no, 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 you know, science, fucks this is what we are. I'm like, but then what is love? Yeah. Why do I feel and care for, you know, I guess, I mean, I get. You could explain to me, I could read a fucking a million Richard Dawkins books and he could explain to me a million times the process of evolution and how we need to bond to those closest to us and blah, 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 blah. Mm. But fuck, I mean, it's crazy. Okay, so, and you were feeling it. Not only in the way that you feel it as a 15-year-old or yeah, like whatever s- you are. In, straight
1: cordial, but, but right? With,
0: but here's the thing. It's like I wish there were some things that I did when I was like 18, 19, 20 that I can never do again for the first time, right? But I wish that I could do for the first time now. Yeah. Because as an adult, the person I am now... I'm in a place to enjoy those things or appreciate those things or like Are in you my Are you talking head.
1: about wanking? I mean, I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. Like, I mean, could you Sorry, imagine Sorry, you were on a really nice no, train no, and but, I, I mean, derailed that's a, it.
0: But that, that's as good a point as any. I mean, I don't mind bringing a crudity to <laughs> this uh, philosophy, which is imagine. Imagine if I was my age yeah. and I was like for the first time ever, like, okay, I've heard about this thing. Yeah. And I've, like, you know, I'm ready. I've chosen the perfect, like, piece of pornography or whatever the, yeah, like, yeah, whatever yeah. it is, you know, lubrication, whatever it is that you need, environment. But like, Im-
1: imagine that. Like, I was, I'd read for the first time. every fucking terrible fantasy novel on the planet by then. I'd read my way through my school library. I'd read about, I'd read poetry. I'd read literature. All right. of this stuff about that. So love. that's all
0: in your experience. It's all
1: in my head. I've pined after fictional characters. I've, and then all of a sudden. I'm the only person in the world that I need to worry about. I get to I get to this new country, right? And I have a room and I have a place that's mine and I have only me to worry about. And my and parents yeah. have, like, said, it's okay. We got, we've right. got everything fine sorted at home. You just do your thing. We're really proud of you.
0: I mean, that must have been amazing even, I mean, and again, like it's not one of those things that in any way I mean this in a, like, anyway, I'll just say it and people can think what they think. <laughs> But to go overseas, how much of going overseas do you think was, if I go overseas, my life is truly my own?
1: Well, for me, it was this thing of, like, it had to be for a reason. So, like, getting yeah, into you're Cambridge not
0: just and- gonna, You're not just going to fuck off on a Contiki tour for here. year. Yeah. But-
1: so, a lot of my life has been that. Like, I have to. it has to be worth it. It has uh-huh. to be worth leaving mum and knowing I don't know how long she'll live for and knowing that I'm giving up that time. So, it has to be worth it. And, right. like... Scholarship, Cambridge, fucking, yes, amazing. Did and you have
0: a scholarship of school as well?
1: I went to a public selective school. Okay. So uh-huh. um, so kind of. Kind of. That's
0: basically what a public selective school is, right? Yeah, scholarship they, the and yeah. they have a whole school for them. It's just a school full of scholarships, essentially. Yeah, exactly. It's
1: a, a scholarship. Yeah. I mean, I, I find that
0: fascinating. The amount of people I talk to on this podcast who have had their education funded through scholarship is like it's – I mean, I'm, I'm not making any graphs and I yeah. haven't asked anybody. I haven't asked everybody, but the amount of times it comes up, and I was on a scholarship to school as well. If I ever make
1: that, it, I'm going to fund a scholarship for I sure. Mean,
0: absolutely. Because, and this is why, like, the public versus private debate, which I've had too many times on this podcast, mm-hmm. but why we need to make it more equal is the idea that education is the best way out of poverty. Yeah. It is. It has been proven time and time again that the best way for someone to make their life better is through education. Yeah. And yes, and we should, like, I mean, I still think the best investment we can make in this nation, particularly a nation that's never going to compete on price point, because we never will. Because we are in the middle of Asia and the standard of life we expect as Australians is not a standard of life that can be sustained on $2 an hour and working for those sort of wages. We would never accept it. So we've got to look at our country as a realistic thing. We can't compete on price. No. It's just gone. That horse no. has already bolted. But what we can compete on is on quality. yeah. And particularly in education, in a country our size, if we just made education free and we genuinely made ourselves the clever country because we have the environment, we have the wealth, we have all these things that could make us the leading country in the world in the future, like we have the capacity to actually do that. And
1: we have so- It's such a luxury to have time to think I was thinking about this the other day where people are complaining about everyone spending time on their phones. You know, night someone just wasted 90 minutes on their phone. You go, you know what you would have been spending 90 minutes on 200 years ago? Churning butter. Right. Like fucking sewing up a, a shirt.
0: Yeah, we've freed up that time.
1: Yeah, we've got time. You know
0: what? You can Google for a while. Yeah. We've got butter sorted.
1: It's fine. You just you know, I open... take an hour
0: and a half of butter time. <laughs> yeah, right? And you can look up some Facebook cat pics.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, but you can open your mind and and, and see new things and, and meet new ideas. And I, it's one of the things that I think is is amazing about the world today is that you have like even if we don't have free education, we do have a lot of a lot more access to ideas than we ever had before.
0: Uh, okay, so uh, we've kind of skipped all over the place, but I. Um, <laughs> Give us the quick, because uh, you've got like how many degrees do you have?
1: Uh, f- four.
0: Four degrees. What are your four degrees?
1: Oh, um, uh, arts, uh, undergraduate law, uh, masters from Cambridge, and then like a weird diploma that I got so I could get a, um, a visa to. So, how many years of New study York? did that mean? Uh, nine. Uh, S- depending on how you judge it.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, and that's a long time to be studying.
1: Yeah, far out.
0: So where did you start? You must have done it. You did a degree before you went to Cambridge?
1: Yeah, so I did arts law, finished the arts part, did honours, and then applied to Cambridge kind of when the applications came due. On the day, someone was like, oh, you know, those applications are due. And I thought, well, I don't want to go and do law. I hate law. And it's two more years after you finish your arts degree in that combined degree. It's two years of straight law. And I was like, I kind of don't want to do that. Uh, So I didn't.
0: Why... Were you even doing it? Did you think that you did want to do it, or was it because you were a smart kid and smart kids do law?
1: It was the obvious. Just that I didn't have any better ideas about what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't want to just be an artist because I have family who are poor and unfulfilled from having pursued their dreams too early um, and too. I mean, but again, also
0: what you were saying about like the family that you came from, mm. like to be so flippant, yeah. like that's what it would feel like. Yeah. I mean I've said this many times before on the podcast and again uh, I say it through the prism of I say I'm saying this now and it's very easy for me particularly the way my brain works to rewrite my own history uh, through the prism of who I am now and how I think of myself now. Yeah,
1: it's very easy to draw a line back from anywhere, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. But also I do it all the time because my entire life is taking things that actually happened and turning them into parables or stories or fables or whatever. And I tell the fables many more times than I ever tell the truth and it all gets a mud- bit muddy on the journey, you know.
1: But that's what people are for. Like, that's what we do. We're storytelling <laughs> people.
0: I mean, we all do that. But I think that perhaps... You know, I'm even egging the you know the yeah. pot a little bit more on this, but I do honestly believe, on reflection, that the reason that I, because I was a kid who, um, the thing that I am good at mm. is comprehension. Uh. So I'm not great at. Uh, I mean, I'm not great at talking. Like that's firstly, for a person who's been a professional communicator all my life, I'm not a great talker. I don't have a particularly pleasant voice. I talk quickly and then slowly and I shout on stage and, you know, I don't finish sentences and uh, I don't have a concise way of looking at those sort of things. I can't do voices or accents (laughs) at all. You know, I have no particular talent for that. Um, Someone can explain me an idea. And I can comprehend the idea and regurgitate the idea in an accessible way. So at high school, that's just a really great talent to have in any of the humanities topics. Because yeah. essentially you're being taught something and then you're being asked in an essay or whatever to like, you know.
1: And as a comedian, it's a real skill to have because, I mean, I don't know about you, whether you have like a, an underlying idea of what comedy is for. But I've always thought it was for taking big ideas and then giving them to people. Because the feeling of having an idea is an amazing thing, especially a big, complicated idea. And if you can give that to someone else so that they have that idea in their own mind, like that idea happens in their mind, that's what... Like, you can just do that. You can...
0: I like to think of it, and I absolutely agree with you, and, look, look, comedy can be all things. Mm. Sometimes I love somebody making a simple thing complicated. Mm. But what I like to do is make a complicated thing simple. Yeah. Like, that's my... has been my great joy in life. And the thing that I always like like to think of my comedy as is, like, I said, I, I just want to open a door for you. Yeah. Like, you're a person who's stumbling around in the dark a bit, but yeah. you know that you want to go down here, but you need someone to open the door for you. And I hope in the jokes that I can open the door to an idea. Like, if I can open your door to an idea on marriage equality, if I open the door, on refugees. I'm not going to explain everything you need to know, and I'm not going to sum it up or solve any problems. But if you're a person who's interested in going down this, I've just shown you a way into it, a way into it that you can comprehend and enjoy and you know, kind of get some fun out of it as well, hopefully. There's
1: there's a particular theory of of evolutionary psychology, which is already like a bit suspect, but the idea that when you laugh, you release these kind of chemicals into your brain, which are a reward. So like on an evolutionary level, laughter is a reward for noticing an inconsistency in the world. Like, I thought my glasses were there, but they're on my head. Ha, ha, ha. Like, whatever it is, it's a reward. And so, you know, this pullback reveal joke, you laugh. And then in that moment on an evolutionary level, what your brain goes is, why did I get that wrong? What did I have wrong? And opens itself to new information in a way that argument will never do, in a way that discussion will never open your mind.
0: It's interesting to me what you're saying on that because Uh, yeah to again like now we're waiting into which i love on this podcast which is you taking something that you know a bit about that is you know even starting to be discredited and then me going you know what i know something that's vaguely in this area and i'm gonna (laughs) jump right on board as if i have facts but um there's an often quoted and it's very much one of those you know uh fruit juice lid sort of facts that you read all the time but a baby laughs 500 times a day or something like that and an adult laughs like 18 times a day or whatever mm. but if what you're saying is true i mean of course when you're a baby if that is why you're laughing yeah. of course because the world is constantly surprising you, needing, you surprising you and you're constantly getting things wrong yeah. and you're constantly needing your brain to be opened up to to have that sort of you know, thing of going no it's okay you're learning new things you don't know anything
1: well you think about peekaboo right Right. Like after a while the baby learns why it's why where you've gone and then it's not a fun game anymore. Right. Like if you if I play peekaboo with you obviously it'd be fun for a little while. Yeah,
0: I mean at the start But then you're fun. like I
1: know where you're going right. and I know you're going to come back and it's not this kind of amazing startling what happened what did I get wrong why is that why are they going away and coming back what what am I missing? And you're kind of learning and learning and learning.
0: I mean, you know what? Despite the fact that you suggested that's been discredited, I love it. I love I, it too. I think it's a really cool idea. Okay, so, yeah, I think that definitely laughter can open the door, you know, in in that sense. But, um, so I was good at high school, but I didn't have to try. Yeah. So this is my point. Deadly. Like, yeah. And I was easily bored and I was a pain in the ass for every fucking teacher in the world. And because I thought I was smarter than them and... As a, like, I was, like, you know, I, I just, I was just bored easily. I, and, you know, so I did a bunch of things, and I've always had, like, an anti authoritarian streak that I do not know where it came from. Like, I, honestly, it hasn't come from my upbringing. I do not want, but I don't trust authority. Even as an adult now, 41 years old, totally in charge of myself. The idea of going to an award ceremony or, like, going to some event where everyone gets dressed up and gets their fud, like, those things still repulse me in a way that I never learnt. And I don't even, like, necessarily intellectually comprehend. But, like, if you're a teacher, yeah. you know, in a country private school in that situation, I'm sure I made some people's lives a misery, right? But then when I went to uni, I changed completely. I studied so hard. I was so diligent. And I, like, finished first in my course at university and not a boast because it's not useful to me in any way <laughs> in my profession. Like, <laughs> no still a boast. No <laughs> one's ever yelled out, show us your degree. <laughs> No, the reason that I think I tried so hard, even though I knew at that stage that I wanted to do comedy, was that I needed to do such a good job with that thing mm. that I would give myself and my family or what I thought was my family's perception. Mm. That was my permission. Yeah. If I nail this and I go, look, no, 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 no. I can do it. I haven't flipped off and been an artist straight out of high school and yes. disrespect everything you did for me. Yeah. This is me going, look. I, was I try hard and I get it and all those sort of things. Now I'm going to go off and, you know, drink I, booze. I was and, a
1: lawyer for a year. Yeah, I, I worked at the Swiss Bank UBS in New York for six months. I I did it and I was like, good. I don't like this. It's not good. It makes me miserable on like a fundamental level. I'm done.
0: What do you think the value of that is in uh, your life? I I have often said, and I obviously I, I, I think I talk about comedy in the context of comedy a lot because it's just my world, but... I often look at a new comedian, and it's not the case in all cases, but you can tell if someone's never left home. You can tell if someone's never had a job other than comedy. Mm -hmm. There are just certain things in the way that they talk about things that I'm like, you know what? Just go out there a bit. At least do something that you hate before you do this. So when this is hard, you'll appreciate still that you're not doing that other thing. But I think there's a perspective of the world that you need to get first, agree or disagree.
1: I w- when I was working and in lawyering, oh. you bill, so you yep. you account for your time in six minute increments, and so you know every hour what you're doing, what you've done. You write yep. it down, and you know how long. Do you take spend. the right?
0: Here's a question I've always wanted to know the answer to. It may seem flippant, but I've heard. I love when I've heard things all my life, and you just take them. Mm. Like you go, yeah, lawyers bill in six minute blocks. Yeah. When you say you write it down, do you include that in the six minutes, or do you allow in your hour the time it will take to account for every six minutes? Uh, Is you, that in the bill- hour, or are you actually billing that time? No, also you bill to the that client? to
1: admin. So in a big, <laughs> in a in a big big law firm, you have to account for that okay. time, but you're not you're not asking a client to pay for that okay. time unless it's like a big client and a big matter. Mm, sure, um, right. sort of built into the fee, but it just means that I um, I was a terrible lawyer. I was never good. I hated it. Um, but I know exactly how much my time is worth Uh or could be worth if I was working in that industry and I know what I spent every minute wanting to buy with that money, which was just time. You know, if I say, okay, a, a young lawyer bills out at about three hundred and thirty bucks an hour, that's uh-huh. what the company will bill you out at. You don't take that home. That's a, you take very very small uh, proportion of that home. Okay, they got you used
0: to a life in showbiz. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god, I did really well on this. Oh no, I didn't. Lots of other people did. I'd yeah. be fine, but
1: there's <laughs> just that thing of going, okay, so I'm happy to pay that money for this time. Yeah, just to have time sure. is such a, a luxury. Like it's such a And that's what I think of as what I've bought by giving up that career is I've bought freedom.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Like, I mean, I think about this a lot. I took a year off the television show, obviously, last year to be able to dedicate to stand-up. And as much as I've loved being back doing the TV show, and I always hesitate to talk about this because I feel like it seems ungrateful, Mm. I'm very grateful for the opportunity that television show has given me and I love doing it. Mm. But I also, whenever I am doing it, all I miss is my time to spend on the thing that I really enjoy doing. Yeah. And no amount of money and no amount of whatever else, like you're jealous of the time. Yeah. I, I, a couple of years ago, I made some major decisions in my life to give up a whole bunch of money to just have more time. And I've never felt happier.
1: Yeah. Because what do you... And also because I think there are a lot of people making a, a bad bet, and I talk about this in my show, the bet that if you spend your life, the majority of your life working on something you don't enjoy... You're betting with your life that by the time you get to retirement, you won't be sick. You won't have a sick spouse or a sick child or a sick parent. And you'll be as capable of enjoying yourself when you retire as you are now. When, And I say in the joke, when you remember what it was like to eat an ice cream in the sun when you were three. Like,
0: Well, I mean, I've always been a proponent. One of my friends uh, has just got a, a great job and like a really for the first time in his life. Mm. Um, It's not my news to reveal, but I'm sure that he'll reveal it in his own time. But um, it's a really solid, you know, well-paid job. He has to move and get a new apartment. And he's at a point in his life where I was just like, you know what? you got a bit of money now and you deserve this. You've worked really hard to get to this point. Like, he's like, oh, well, maybe I should put some of this money aside and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you know what? You never know what's going to happen. You're not, it's not like he's going to spend it all on, you know, but I was like, Buy somewhere now. I mean, you know, rent somewhere now that you like and you want to live in. Because this idea, and I'm not here to mock anyone's life, by the way, but this idea that these people who go and live somewhere they hate for 20 years so they can pay off this mortgage to then eventually with this idea that eventually when they've paid off the house, they'll buy a place back where that place that you wanted to live, well, you'd hate that if you moved back there now. Yeah. All the things you loved about it 20 years ago are the things you'd hate about it now. I'm a big proponent of kind of going, you know, I mean, always with an eye on the future. I'm not like, you know, live yeah. like there's no tomorrow, but there is a certain aspect of you never know what's going to happen.
1: Well, maybe there is no tomorrow. So, like, maybe put, put your eggs in both baskets. I just haven't ever really believed in the future in that way. My mum was super talented and had so much potential and then spent the rest of her life getting sicker and sicker and sicker and losing all of the things that she thought made her special at any rate, like all of her brilliance and and, and talent and musicality and languages and all of those things just kind of went away, even eventually the desire to be creative. Right. Like, I can't say that tomorrow I'm going to have that. that, So why should I? I don't know. I mean, I
0: I, I think a lot, and it came back to mindfulness, which is fun, but... Um, I think a lot about that idea of living in the moment. And I, I want to be as present as possible. But mm. the thing that I had to reconcile in my mind is that living in the moment doesn't mean living like there's no other moment. No. Living in the moment means appreciating and having a context of what the the ramifications of your actions are. I was, yeah. I was talking about, about drugs recently with a friend. I've never been in a position in my life to be able to take more recreational drugs than I ever have been. Yeah. I have a good income. I have heaps of spare time where I don't have to go to an office or anything. I don't have any like, you know, component to my jobs or anything that would like it. You know, I mean, once I finish the television, whatever. But I don't do that because mm-hmm. I have other things in my life that are more important. If I was living like there was no tomorrow, you probably just go, well, fuck it. Let's empty the bank account, have a big party and go out with a bang. But that's not what I'm living. I'm trying to live in the moment, but the moment comes with the idea that after that moment this person that I am is still going to have to have these other moments and maybe it's better to write some jokes (laughs) and,
1: you know. Well, there's a, yeah, I don't know. But that
0: doesn't take anything away from me feeling like I'm living in the moment.
1: I've never, ever wanted to be out of control in that way. Ever? Do you drink? Well, no, I don't.
0: At all? No. Have you ever? No. Never had one? Never. And
1: you and never my, say never. You I, my, I'm not oh, saying no, I won't so tomorrow, you haven't but so far one. I haven't.
0: Uh, that's interesting to me. Uh, my my dad has never had a drink either. Yeah. Uh, were you anti-alcohol because of, uh, like, effects of it that you'd seen or you just it wasn't for you? Because dad's got no – dad can sit with people, like, at the cricket club at midnight and they're all drunk and, you yeah. know – and he, he's fine. Like he's, he's just one of those people who didn't really ever need alcohol. Whereas if I was at midnight at the cricket club and everyone else was drunk and I was sober, uh, well, I wouldn't be there. That's the truth.
1: <laughs> I don't know. If everyone around me was not drinking, I might drink. But there's a freedom that happens when everyone around you is drinking that you can just be a bit weird and, and everyone will just kind of take it on the chin. Uh-huh. I quite like that about drinking. I don't I'm not, I don't object to it as a on a principle level. Um, I just, you know... I, I that thing of being uh, out of control, of falling over, or slurring your words, or was, all of that was for me. That was a really sad thing to watch. That was a the sign or the sing, signal of of mum right dying slowly. No,
0: absolutely. So like, why would I mean, I, Many of the things that I enjoy about like those things you've described, like you know, I mean, I, yeah, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be fucking drugs or alcohol. Although mm-hmm. in a lot of cases in my life it has been those things, but. Like, skydiving or anything where, like, you're taking your life for granted. Yeah. Like, because that's what it is. Like, I get that. I get that there's an indulgence in taking, like, a drug that you don't know where it came from that could, you know, uh, kill you. But if not that, like, put you in an environment where you say something stupid or do something stupid or whatever. That if you... Uh, like yeah, appreciate like you've seen those sort of things. You'd be like, that seems very fucking self indulgent.
1: Yeah, and, and, and it's when I say self indulgent, it's not like I am judging somebody else. No, I was, I was judging me because the, through <laughs> your eyes. <laughs> no, 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 because I don't want you to do that. Look, no, no, I if I'm, I spent uncomfortable,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm drinking beer while we do this. It's if, fine. If
1: I spent three hundred dollars on a, a ticket to a grand final game, I don't know how much they cost. I it would be a waste you of got money. A good deal. Okay, yeah. more than $300 no, no, yeah. on a grand final no. game, it would be a waste of money for me. I wouldn't enjoy it. I wouldn't be able to appreciate it. I wouldn't find any happiness in it. But it would be a good uh, expenditure for somebody else in the same way that like every diet... It's not a universal diet. If you go vegan, you might spend six months before you get anemic and weak and need to eat meat again. Someone else might thrive on it. Like Life is I not... Think you're,
0: what you're trying to say is, in the immortal words of different strokes, what <laughs> might be right for you may not be right for some.
1: But it, it just won't be. It's not that it might not be. It won't, it won't be. It can't to- possibly be. What makes me happy will make you miserable. There are people in the law firm that I left who are happy.
0: Doing the exact same thing that you despise.
1: Doing the stuff. That if I'd done it for five years, I would have genuinely been suicidal. I could feel it eating away at myself.
0: No, but I love this. I, and I love your thought on this because it's a theme that comes up a lot and it's one that I really dig, which is this idea that you know, the, the problem with this world in a lot of ways is we think, and it's basically the reason I started this podcast was I knew a lot of interesting people and I thought, I bet if I talk to them all, none of them will say the same shit. And people from external might go, oh, they're all people at similar points in their life or like who have had similar, and everyone is different and everyone's like turned on by different things and everyone's turned off by different things. And, and this idea that we're, you know, that we don't acknowledge that constantly. Yeah. That we don't go. Oh yeah. Or none of these. We, w- none of these rules are going to work for everyone.
1: Or that we put moral judgment. Like if I right. go out and I get sunburned in fifteen minutes, and you go out and you get sunburned in half an hour or forty-five minutes, or you're just not get the kind of person who gets sunburned, you don't then look at me and be like weak, right? Like you don't. You don't. It's just we're constituted differently. We have different chemicals. We have different. Different joys and different miseries, like
0: And we've all made different choices. Yeah. But uh do you, are you jealous of people? This is an interesting one to me, which is one of the great things that I had to get over in my life, and I don't think this was a big thing for me, but it's definitely something that I've let go of, is being upset at people for doing things that you know, that aren't things that I believe or do or whatever. Or the or getting jealous of people, you know, getting jobs that I wouldn't have even wanted. Like, you know, what I try to do now is only judge my life through, like. Oh, uh, oh no, no, good job! Oh no, that's right. There we go. Look at that. Um, I, uh, I think it's still recording.
1: So, is <laughs> my notes that I made on oh, the nice. bus on the way here. Oh, you made notes. Well, I, like I thought this. of I things think, that I would want to say, and I, I think, said none of them. So. Well, that's all right. We have <laughs> we,
0: we haven't. I haven't even asked you what your philosophy is yet, and we're fifty-seven minutes in. So good. we'll get there. Um, uh. I guess this idea of acknowledging to ourselves that we're all different and that we all have different priorities. Yeah. And then, uh, like, what am I trying to say? Then applying that to the world. So then applying to the world the idea that everybody else also has a different set of priorities to us and that we have to, in all our interactions with other people... Acknowledge the fact that we might not both be able to achieve the same thing. We might not be trying to achieve the same thing.
1: Yeah, and sometimes you do have to, just for your own whatever, sometimes you just have to go, no, I think I'm right. Sometimes. I think that I do it better than you. Sometimes that is what you come to in the end. But- for the
0: people playing at home, Ramona is now back on Alice's lap yep. after jumping on the uh, ottoman slash poof in the middle of the room. Uh, which has a recording device on it that doesn't have a back on the back of it because it's broken. Good. This is a real high-class operation is what I'm trying to say.
1: Look, I don't even have a room to do my podcast in.
0: Uh, Okay, so um, I I got a bit distracted and uh, I apologize for that. But um, what do you feel – there must be something in your life. Because for me, like, you know, without those releases, like, you know, I mean – particularly pot and I've, t- I've spoken about this uh, before on the podcast. I didn't start s- start smoking pot until I was in my 30s and it's the best thing that ever happened to my life. Yeah. The way that it's calmed me down as a human being, the way that it's enabled me to have an affordable and like, you know, mostly creative release on like getting home from a gig and being able to go to bed and sleep and be a functional human being. Like the person I am now versus the person I was beforehand. Mm. Like I don't think there would be anyone who says that it hasn't been anything but helpful to me. Doesn't mean it would be for everybody. But Mm -hmm. I wonder what it is in your life that fills that role because there still must be something. For some people, it's jogging, you know. For some people, it's running half marathons. My friend Mickey D, who's a brilliant stand-up comedian, used to be a real party guy and now he's like an ultra-marathon guy because you you see it with Russell Brand. He was a heroin addict and then he was a sex addict and now he's a... Then he was a religion addict and now he's like... Well, no, now he's like a... I guess... For him, that crusade for the, the political stuff the political yeah. stuff is now his passion. And he goes into everything like he's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's his personality and he replaces them. But I feel like everyone must have that release valve or that thing in some fashion. What is it for you?
1: It changes. For me, for a long time, it was obsessively running, like running marathons and stuff and, um, and being super clean eating and all of that kind of there stuff. There you go. That
0: was one of my first guesses. Lock that, that in well.
1: That was the, that was the <laughs> first one. And now, now I'm much more relaxed about that. I think a healthy body starts with a healthy mind. So uh, I read a lot about fitness. Um, <laughs> I... I don't know, now probably a combination of different things, a balance of different things, maybe comedy actually.
0: But comedy is your job. Yes. So I feel like you need something that isn't your job. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love comedy and most of my life is you around it or obsessed with it in some fashion or the other, you know. Um, But there's still got to be something else. What is that something else for you? Hmm. I guess it doesn't have to be. I've literally just gone off saying everyone's different and no one has that, the same thing too. There must be something else.
1: I, I, but I feel like
0: there must be something else. What is it?
1: I, I don't know yet. I mean, this year What do you it's... do
0: for fun? Like, what literally, like, apart from comedy. If mm. comedy is Top Answer, we're playing Family Feud yeah. and the other team is locked in Top Answer comedy. Yeah. It doesn't have to be... Top, top Answer comedy can be 67 votes. The next one down can be 14 votes. Yeah. But what is it? What's the next one?
1: Probably wandering around listening to audiobooks. Okay. Right? Just walking out in the world and sort of just having you. that That's thing.
0: combining your, your early influence <laughs> of reading into your later influence of exercise. You've, that's your combo.
1: And, and probably, this sounds weird, uh, precisely articulating really complicated emotional things. With and for other people as well as for myself.
0: Where does that come from?
1: Um, it comes from feeling uh, poetry, probably the idea that if you can, if you can put your finger on the problem, may, m- I feel like feelings usually are just ugh, they're just ugh, they're just in you, right? They're just a, they're just ugh. you can't. And and if you can say exactly what it is, I'm I feel horrible because. Uh, I'm grieving this person because I fear my own death. I see my own death in them. I, I'm sad about losing them in my life. I, I am just sad generally. It makes me feel fragile. It makes me whatever. Any of the, if you can put your finger right on it, then it doesn't feel so bad. Like you've, you've, you've encapsulated it. You've articulated it. And by articulating it, you've put a frame around it. And that frame gives you a handle of it, on it, and then you can put it aside.
0: I'm really interested in how in control of everything you seem to be. Like, even in your first answer of, like, yeah, this podcast, it was you being in control of something that was, like, essentially you were trying to say, I don't want to be pigeonholed. Like, I want to be, you know, disruptive. I want to be this person, but yeah. in a very much, like, in a controlled way. <laughs> and... Like, you know, the alcohol thing, the, the wanting to Let not feel out of control, of yeah. the idea of wanting to process things into these. I mean, it's it's fascinating to me. And I, like, I mean, this is a literally a no judgment thing. It's just kind of the opposite to me, which is actually why I find it so fascinating is that, like, often in my life, I think one of the things that, like, I think probably everyone thinks this, but... There are some major misconceptions yeah. about me and my personality that various different people have through various different things that I just have no care to clean up or no care to worry about what people think of me or any of those sort of things. And I kind of enjoy the chaos. I kind of enjoy the idea of like, let's just see, you know, the idea of doing the improv stand up shows or even starting this podcast, my whole philosophy of this is like, just do it. Yeah. Just see what it is and like, take that risk. Do you still have that element of your personality? Is there something in there where you still release that idea? Is, is that co- what comedy is? What when? What's your approach to comedy? Does it have to be as controlled as... And again, I, I feel like even when I say the word controlled, I see this reaction in your face like you think that that's a pejorative. It's not. Like it's, some of the greatest comedy I, of all time... Jerry Seinfeld I would consider to be incredibly controlled and I think he's one of the greatest comedians of all time. But, you I, know...
1: I think I give off an impression of control, and it's a, one of those things. Like in every in everything, everything's a flip side, right? Every bad quality in somebody is the flip side of a good quality. That's why they don't let go of it, even if they know it's a terrible thing, right? Uh-huh. For me, it's that I feel out of control. Of course, I mean I'm emotionally, I just <laughs> I have so so many emotions, and 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 uh, in my life I couldn't. You know, you have to be able to be helpless and not okay with it, but okay with it when you're watching somebody die long-term. Yeah,
0: so do you think that that's what it is? Like, I mean, it's like a coping mechanism that develops through the fact that you're like, well, this is just what... I mean...
1: Well, if you can't do anything about it, the thing, then do something. Do any... Just do something. Because otherwise, things are just happening to you. And you're just...
0: Is it looking for control... I mean, again, this is probably too pet fucking psychology, but like, is it looking for control in? We're in the right armchairs for it. Where you? Oh, by the way, these were hard rubbish. These chairs.
1: I love, I love this suburb. I once found a loot in a bin on hard rubbish night. Oh That's, my
0: god! I mean, it's you know you live in a good suburb. The prime minister of Australia, like, is the, <laughs> my local member. Um, but you know you live in a good suburb when someone throws out perfectly good Chesterfield fucking armchairs Amazing. on Amazing. hard rubbish night. I
1: love it. I'm sick of this luxury. <laughs> We're going minimalist this season. Well,
0: because it also works for me because I'm a vegetarian and I don't buy uh, new leather at oh. all. So like secondhand leather though, perfect. rubbish night leather. Yeah. By the way, comfortable chairs, terrible for a podcast because they squeak they and people do. are always like, what's going on? And what's that? Dung, 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 dung in the back. That's my bad plumbing. Not I've been sitting up like a that's not my bad plumbing. <laughs> that house is bad plumbing.
1: No, it's good. It's ambiance.
0: So, uh, you know what? Actually, I'm going to pause for a second because I got to duck to the bathroom because that's the difference between somebody who doesn't drink and somebody who's drunk two and a half beers during this podcast. Yeah, I just need evaporate a my fluids. <laughs> well, you've had like you've had one third of a glass of water.
1: I have. and
0: I've had like two and a half beers. So what I'm saying is. That I need to have a bathroom break. Okay. And so we'll have a little pause. I'm not And then we'll come you. back. We're going to ask for the philosophy. Yeah, I know. Different strokes. I'm, I'm explaining
1: <laughs> your I'm explaining. biology is different from my biology. This is a practical
0: example, guys. <laughs> this is literally. Hang on. Pause. What and happened? we're back. No, no, that's fine. I just pushed. I, I put it on pause. Um, and then I completely forgot I'd done that and push record again. That just means it saves the... F- As a separate file. It's just a separate file. It's if, in two parts now. That's If fine. you're
1: recording directly onto your laptop in GarageBand and you press save while it's recording, it deletes the whole thing. I learned that by experience. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I've
0: deleted heaps of these things and I don't even like to talk about it because it's like, <laughs> it just jinxes it.
1: Interestingly, the only time you do that is when you think this is a really important podcast, I should save it. I'm I won't wait till the end, I'll save it on the fly. And yeah, then I, I did
0: one in this very room. It was the first one Ronnie Chang and I did together and ah. it's still one of my favourite podcasts I've ever done. Oh, and I love that man. He said so many lovely things, like to me as well, but not in a ter- like not in a terrible way, just, you know, like I was like, oh, that's nice, and we had a really good time with it. It was such a good podcast, and I lost it, and Ugh. now he's on The Daily Show, and he'll probably be the biggest star in the world, and he'll be hosting the fucking Oscars, and I won't have that podcast of him saying nice things about me. Oh.
1: <laughs> he is such a lovely man. You don't even, like, again, jealousy-wise, you just don't feel jealous of Ronnie Chang because he's – he deserves everything he gets.
0: I was saying this to someone recently. Um, I can't remember if it was on this podcast or one of my other podcasts, but um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. He's a genius, Ronnie. I think he's fantastic. He's such a respectful guy. He's um, worked really hard. He deserves every success that he had. My dream job in the world is to be a correspondent on The Daily Show, and yeah. um, I've put in a bunch of submission tapes over the years, and some of them have gone quite well, and i you know, have always got positive feedback without ever getting an opportunity. Yeah. And I had put one in just about six weeks before – John Stewart decided that he was leaving, before he announced that he was leaving, right? And it was when they uh, gave, like, uh, when uh, Trevor Noah actually got his job as a correspondent, who's now the host of the show. Amazing. And so I had put in a tape then and and, and didn't get it again. But it was the happiest i would ever been with an audition, because they'll send you two pieces that are just their correspondent pieces, but you have to write your own piece as well and perform that. Yeah. And so I, the one I'd written, I was just really happy with. In fact, it became a chunk of my stand-up saying They didn't like it. But... Um, It's the
1: glory of deadlines for things. (laughs) You just create awesome stuff. But when he got that job,
0: um, I'll, I'll be really honest about it. Like, I haven't felt jealousy. It was this thing we were talking about before of, like, me not wanting to be jealous of anybody else who's got a job or whatever that is a job I don't want. Yeah. I have a great life and I lead pretty much a life that I want to lead.
1: Yeah.
0: Why would I be jealous of anybody else also having something that I don't want?
1: Yeah. But in
0: that fucking moment when I heard about that...
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, man, I was jealous. Like... And I said this and I've I've thought about this kind of like analytically since.
1: Yeah.
0: I reckon it took me two minutes. Two I reckon minutes. there was two minutes where and but here's the thing about living in the moment now and the philosophy I have to that. As soon as I acknowledge I was feeling that, yeah. I just acknowledged that I was feeling it. Yeah. Like I was just like, aha. Okay, that's all right. You're allowed to be jealous. Because you know what? You know that if you'd been given that opportunity, that you would have done a good job. Yeah. Now, move your thought pro and you know, You're at a point in your life where you would love something like that and you think you're ready to do it and do it well and you understand that that would be a door opening that if I took that opportunity, I could turn into the career that I've wanted in America. And I saw that for a moment. And you know what? It's fine for me to acknowledge that and it's fine for me to have that moment because I would want that. Then I was really happy and and I'm not uh, self-mythologizing here because uh, otherwise, I just wouldn't tell this story, you know. Yeah. But i I was really happy how quickly it passed and how quickly I moved on to. Oh my god, I'm so excited for Ronnie. Yeah. And that now is my only thought about it. Like I don't now when I think about it, I none of the jealousy is there because I had that moment yeah. and I processed that it was okay for me to feel that because
1: oh, you man, know I would, I would have love, loved it. I would have I like. But then I, would I was like, "Well, job. this guy's
0: my mate." And I think he's fucking great. And you know what? It's his time. And he's ready. And he'll fucking nail it. And that's all I feel about it now.
1: And he will continue with his project of making being Chinese cool.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm not not comfortable with that.
1: That's what he said. I thought that was so funny. Oh, man. He's funny, man. I love it. Well,
0: luckily there's not a big untapped market there that he could... (laughs) Oh. Yeah, <laughs> that's maybe that's what I've got to do. I've got to go after the Chinese Daily Show.
1: Yeah. That's
0: my point of difference.
1: That's your point of difference exactly. Yeah. I just I do think I'll just everybody... go over there
0: and do a like a satire show, but is totally government approved. I I'll think... just totally sell out to be the biggest act in China.
1: I think every young white man should go be a minority for 6 months to a year, just anywhere that they're a minority, just go and be a minority for a bit.
0: How do you feel about um, – uh, this is a question I'm sure you get asked all the time. I, I am not asking it in, in the way that people ordinarily ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the last few years, uh, particularly with the rise of the internet and all the various voices that you hear, mm-hmm. um, I, it always amazes me when somebody says something like Twitter is a terrible thing. I'm like, well, actually, you know what? You choose who to follow. You're making terrible choices. Yeah. I – my brain has been opened, expanded, and exploded mm. by the voices that I've heard through the people I follow on Twitter. Oh now, God. I follow people that I don't agree with, people that are, like I don't know, people who have 80 fucking followers, but somebody they once tweeted something like that I thought was really interesting, and now I've just kept in touch with them, yeah. and every one of those experiences has informed and those voices has informed who I am today. It's fucking amazing. It's amazing. One of the biggest things that I like struggle with all the time is how unaware. Of course I was always aware of it, and I don't want to like downplay that or overplay it, but I certainly want to acknowledge I've I have worked in an industry that is dominated by men. Mm. And really, I've never done much to stop and question it. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that, like, I mean, I've encouraged female comedians and I feel like I've, I have been supportive and I try to, like, yeah, get new people on this podcast and I've, one of my philosophies is that people know if they re- listen regularly is I try to have an equal amount of women and men on this podcast and, but this is, I'm 41 and yeah. I've been doing this for 20 years and, you know, I feel like this is just now where I'm changing it now and it kind of embarrasses me sometimes that, you know, that I was, even though I was aware of it, I wasn't stopping every day and going, hang on, what am I doing to fix this? You know, what is my role in making this? So now I ask you the question that you've been asked a million times, but hopefully now that I've put in context, you understand I'm asking it for a different Mm. reason. How have you found being a woman in comedy?
1: It's interesting. So this, uh, it goes back to me being a twin, a split gender twin, as it were. Um, I never thought of myself as a girl. For a long time, and, and I've told you a little bit about my sexual history. God, I hope Dad doesn't listen to this. Um, G'day, Dad. But I hit being a woman late, like being aware of myself as a woman as anything other than a giant floating head. So I didn't feel, I didn't feel that barrier until later.
0: By the way, for a Dad listening to this podcast, I reckon hearing. That your daughter wasn't really into that sort of stuff until she was 23, and on her second degree at one of the world's most prestigious <laughs> universities is probably about the best news that you could possibly have. <laughs>
1: you do not know
0: Unless he, you think he's living in a world where you are still keeping yourself for marriage. <laughs> oh no, he doesn't think that. Okay, well, g'day, Dad. Sorry, sorry, shouldn't have tuned in, mate. <laughs>
1: Oh my god! My dad tweeted at me the other day, and it was just the most. Because he's been on Twitter since 2009. He's a professor of law and media and communications at UTS, uh-huh. and he'd been on Twitter, never tweeted anything. And the other day, I had a slightly annoying interaction with somebody in the industry who sort of pinged me for tweeting at Mark Maron, uh, as, lo- as though I was going above my station.
0: Oh, that you're not allowed to tweet Mark Maron. What yeah. Did, what did you tweet to Mark Maron?
1: Well, I said, "Hey man, do you want to get a cup of tea?"
0: But you guys, you have met Mark Maron because yes, I was there at the uh, the LA Podcast Festival yes. when you were on his podcast.
1: Yeah, technically, um, I was. I mean, but you were. Yeah, I was. And
0: you met him that day, and you guys like so. I mean,
1: we have had some conversations right. enough that when I tweeted it, I thought, would I say this if he wasn't famous? Yes, this is what I would say if he was famous. Uh, and the guy was like, nice, casual, try Alice, and I was like, you're. a Cockhead.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's hard. But he said
1: it at six o'clock in the morning, so uh-huh. I got to like yeah. go to sleep and think about my response. And I, I did a relatively measured response, I thought. But then I wrote a furious limerick um, <laughs> on Twitter, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, the punchline
0: this is the first time ever that I've heard of a conflict (laughs) being resolved by a furious limerick by the way
1: I don't think this resolved the conflict this
0: fired up a bit this was your version of like an Eminem style 8 mile rap battle you were like here you go here's here's my vengeance I'm gonna fucking drop a dirty limerick on you
1: and and I
0: are you looking it up? Are you going to tell me? What yeah, I'm going is? to tell you okay. what
1: it is. Just every, not everybody because everybody at home I want wants
0: to know. No, I mean I want to know, but also everybody at home wants to know.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm going to read this out. Not because I think I'm an awesome limerick no, no. writer slash tweeter. Save space. space, Because my dad is just so sort of, like. Okay, so to put this in context, my uh-huh. dad is very much the patriarch. He's very uh, righteous in a way that is difficult to argue with him having high expectations of you because he has high expectations for himself. Mm-hmm. Like he looked after mum for thirty three years, he looked after us. He, you know, he was just irreproachable. Uh, is that a word? Yes, that is a word. And I it's a word now. Made it. I made it into a word. And uh, so this annoying person pinged me for my presumption in talking to Mark Maron, and I wrote. <laughs> Uh, I, I wrote a, a nice enough reply. Also,
0: BT dubs. Uh, why are you getting involved in this, dude? Why is some random fucking dude or one, whatever... Well, this is um, obliquely like- a,
1: a response. I felt like that was a gendered thing. I don't think he would have done that if I'd been a guy. I don't think he would have felt it was presumptuous. Interesting. I'd, I, I'd, and that's a, that could just be me projecting... But that's why I thought of it when you asked that question. But that's –
0: But I mean, this is the most interesting thing about this when you start thinking about these things is, like, I don't perceive that as being the case, but how the fuck would I know? Like, because I have grown up being me and a white man and not expecting that sort of thing. I was did uh, a, a, it was a, I can't, you know what it's called. Hmm. They have it every year at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's for women in comedy. Oh, yeah. The, um, uh, and they have forums and stuff. Cheese yeah, yeah. Louise. Is yeah, that, Louise, that what it's called? um what it is. Um, and one year I spoke on a panel and I was speaking to people about the idea of like, you know, if you know someone who's on the radio or whatever, you, you might as well reach out because you never yeah. know unless you ask. And somebody said to me from the audience, if you, if I reached out to you you'd think that I was trying to have sex with you. And at the time, I was so offended by that because there were a million girls in comedy that, like, I had, you know, given opportunities and stuff and that had never once crossed my mind. And I was really angry at this person and I was really offended. And it was only, like, years later that I was like, even despite that I still feel that a little bit, I was like, well, maybe from her perspective, that's what she had seen. As in, like, not from me, but maybe that was... Like, maybe men in my industry did, like, help women and then fuck them or whatever. And maybe if your entire experience is that and you don't know someone, and again, going back to that idea of miscommunication, if I've never had a conversation with her or said to her or to people in general, hey, hit me up and, like, blah, 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 yeah. then I go, maybe you do think that. Well, I don't know. I
1: don't know. There. Is, I think, look, put that aside. Let's look. My at point it is the... that I
0: can't know. Look, uh, so you say what you're going to say. Look
1: at it from the other perspective. If you... Okay, so you meet, one of the joys of this if this industry is you meet people you fall in love with their brains. You're like, fuck, I want to work with you. You're amazing. I think everything oh, about you. And you make me feel clever and funny and and I love that. If you are a straight man and they are a straight man or you're straight and they're gay, whatever, if there's no possibility of a sexual relationship between you, you know that the thing you want to make with them is a creative project. The default assumption is, oh, my God, I love you. Let's make a sitcom or a a show if I fall in love with you there's two options for how we play that out yeah
0: it's a good point actually you know what Justin said this before and it's not a
1: bad thing but it's a reality right
0: but but also we never talk about it, so no one has that knowledge when they go into that situation to feed that, that this might be one of those two things. Like me saying, "Ah, oh, it's Tuesday, I went out on the weekend, of course I'm feeling overly sensitive. We don't go into that guy, oh, I'm processing like this emotion at the moment that probably is this but could easily be channeled into this, I should take a moment and kind of work out what it is.
1: Well, I would say that the feeling that you would feel when you see one of your heroes and you're like, "Fuck, I want to work with you," and you get to pursue them, and you're like, "To your manager, oh my god, I need to, I need to be in a room with that man. I need to, I need to be with that person in in a creative way." No one's questioning that. No one thinks it's weird. No one thinks it's sus. It's not stalkery if you send them messages. It's.
0: I fucking this. This is good. This is fucking great. But we it's have, exactly the no, same emotion. This is, no, but this is what. Okay, so a couple of things. I like this. I like this a lot. So um, when Justin and I first met, mm. from the minute we fucking hung out, I like we just, we clicked in a way that, you know, it was just fucking magic. And he later confessed, like, because we spent an incredible amount of time with each other really fucking suddenly because we were just like, we just get on so well, you he know. fell in love. I mean, we've literally never had... I don't think between the two of us, we might have been grumpy at each other, but I don't think we've ever really had a bad word. Like, maybe Mm. one of the two of us was in a bad mood, but it's never really been taken out on the other person. Like, we have nothing but a good time. Like, you know, we toured together, like, you know, in the most horrible circumstances and always had a fucking brilliant time. Like, but he confessed to me later that at the start, he was literally kind of like checking himself about the feelings that he was like, he was like, am I having like romantic feelings? But it wasn't. We were just so creatively sparked off each other. But here's my broader theory to that with what you've said. I think those things are so interconnected that I totally fucking get why, you know, that happens. And I totally get why, you know, it's a cliche, but everyone goes in the school play and they all have sex with each other or whatever, or every, you know, adult play, everyone's fucking each other, those sort of things. Because there is... A like in, in a Venn diagram sense, they're not the same thing, but there's a large overlap between those things that makes that all a bit messy. But even more than that, I reckon this is why when creative partnerships break up, so often they break up in such a fucking poisonous fashion. Because, oh, yeah. much like relationships, when you had something so good with somebody, yeah. like often when it's over, it is over in such a spectacular sense that it has that real sort of like, because you know, I don't speak to my ex anymore. The
1: best creative expression is an expression of yourself, like really honestly, brutally, straight out there. And if someone says, I don't want that anymore, that whether it's a romantic relationship or a creative relationship, that's devastating, that they don't want you. And you've worked really hard to give everything of yourself to this and they make you better as well. They're taking that away from you, The the, the what they give to you. And then there's the third thing that you've built together, whatever it is. If it's a sitcom and you've written it together, then there's copyright issues when you break apart because neither of yeah, you created it. It's like a it. divorce. Neither of you created it. No,
0: you created it together. The, the, and the, no separation of the assets will ever actually literally separate the thing that you can't.
1: You can't because you can't it's
0: split it apart.
1: It only existed in the joining of you two.
0: Well, Adam and Spencer wouldn't mind me saying this, and I, I don't mean to say it in any mean way, but. You know, we never, like, we got along great on the radio, Mm. but we didn't even necessarily get along great in the music all the time. Mm. You know, there were times where we had a really poisonous relationship, and in the five years we worked together, we did not visit each other's house socially once. Mm. But we made some of the best stuff together that, like, I've ever made in my life because he brings out something in me that raises me to a higher level, and hopefully, you know, it's the same in reverse. And whatever that was, it was like, But you know, by the end of it, it was like fucking hard for us both. And like, this is certainly not from my way to hit. Like, he's your biker boyfriend who you had
1: amazing sex with. That's who he is. He's the one who, like, everyone's like, he's not good for you, but you know, he's so good for you.
0: Right. And it's like one of those things, but also even just now, like he's still, our relationship is still so complicated. Like we did the reunion, like they had this 30 years of like Triple J and so we did a radio show together and it was like 10 years since we'd done it. And at times it was magic and at times you were like, oh, this is why we don't do it anymore. Like it was all there in that moment and it was wonderful and, and I love him and I will always love him. But at the same time, you know, we weren't, it's like, I, that's what I think. I, I like that. I like what you've like identified there. So that's cool. So have you brought up the limerick? Yeah, so go.
1: this is the thing. Uh, bear in mind, when my dad sees me do comedy, he'll always say this. No matter what the comedy is, he'll say, that was really good, Alice. I didn't like to see you swear. Uh-huh. Uh, so that. bear in mind that. And no, then that's good. I-, I said on this, playing with the Twitter character count um, there once was a man to be blunt who always was taking a front <laughs> he'd go onto Twitter and feeling real bitter would make of himself quite a
0: did you leave it blank or yeah did because you... you
1: ran out of characters at that oh. point on Twitter
0: oh that's I mean that is very clever already that you've but managed to construct a limerick in the limited format of Twitter that runs out at the perfect time for the punchline. I mean, that already to I me, may
1: have peaked. <laughs>
0: like, on a technical level, I admire the craft. Oh, That's all I'm you. saying.
1: And then my dad said, in response to that, his first tweet ever, uh-huh. disgruntled person.
0: I mean, is that him being funny, maybe?
1: Yes, it is him being funny. <laughs> and- it's him expressing his disapproval of me, like swearing, and I'm just sitting there in shock, going, "I've made my dad think the word cunt. <laughs> I can't believe." And it was just
0: no, 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 no. If it's not in his brain, then he doesn't go there. And then, and then, he's, uh, if it came into his own head, you didn't say I it. I didn't
1: say it, and then I he t-
0: thought it. I texted him. Don't be angry at you. Be and angry I, at his brain.
1: I texted him. I said, "You're on Twitter?" Question mark! Exclamation mark! And yeah. he replied, "I am across all internets." Really, I'm like my dad is cooler than me. This is the worst thing um, that's ever if happened.
0: <laughs> if he's cool, then he's got to be cool with swearing, because there's some <laughs> fucking shit on the internet that he is going to find that's really going to blow his mind. He, I mean, we were talking about this in the little break we had, but um, I honestly believe this is the case. Like when when you were talking before about the idea of wanting to convey complex ideas, but in like a more simple way. But I also think it goes to your idea of like organized chaos is like, of course you swear. That's how you communicate those ideas. But that's also you, like, not wanting to be defined by being this, like, you know, bookish, intellectual, non-drinking, you know, person. Yeah. This is you like, well, yeah, but I fucking swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your rough That's your, but it's a, like a calculated rough. It's just poking that,
1: yeah. Don't tell me who I am. I'll tell you who I am. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it. All right. So uh, this is great. So here's where we're at. We know that um, that you've been shaped, obviously in part by like you know the the you know the story that you have. Like Mm. most people are, but yours is probably just one that people at least think on the surface it's easier for them to identify. You know Mm. what I mean? Like a lot of other people's same things are just more hidden away. Yeah. Uh, We get that your dad um, doesn't like you swearing. No. And we get that your mum uh, passed away last year. Yes. And which brings us to where we started. Almost exactly
1: a year now, actually. It was last Monday.
0: So the show. You did a show about it. And that must have been... Okay, so talk us through your thought process. Talk us through when you thought that was going to be a good idea, what you're hoping to achieve by that. Uh, Talk us through that sort of moment of starting to think this horrible thing has happened in my life, but the way that I want to process this, at least right now, is this.
1: Okay, so there's a couple of different strands in that. One is um, after she was diagnosed with cancer, it sort of all became very real. It was always on the cards that she would suddenly get sicker and it would go downhill rapidly and she would die. That was from the beginning of our awareness of that disease that was always on the cards. And then all of a sudden it became close and real and this cancer thing. Uh, And then at Splendour in the Grass, after the Melbourne Comedy Festival, I did a piece for Women of Letters talking about...
0: Brilliant show. I've asked Marie Hardy to be on this show. She said no, and I respected it. No, I love Marie, but she's trying to keep away from being Marique at the moment and kind of letting her work speak for her more than yeah. you know her, the public persona, and I totally respect and appreciate that, but yeah. I would love her to come on at some stage because I think she's a fucking she's amazing. unreal, fascinating person.
1: Really interesting, and um, I spoke about what it felt like to mourn someone in that progressive way, losing bits of her that you thought were essential parts and realising that they weren't because you still loved her and she was still this person to you despite the fact that she didn't have this thing that you would have, if anyone asked you, said... This was is inc-
0: vital that, to that's who she is.
1: part of her. That's the, the solid part of her.
0: <sighs> wow, that's... That's... Wow, okay. Um, I don't... I, this is one of those areas where I actually don't want to pry too much more than this, but is there an example of what you mean by that that you can give me to illustrate that point that isn't uncomfortable for you to say? If it is, let's just move on to something else. It's fine. I don't...
1: Uh, well, a very obvious one is the passion for creativity. That was her main drive in life. She was an artist and uh-huh. a musician and she would learn languages and she just had a voracious hunger for literature and poetry and And then she, not only one of the great tragedies of her life was not being able to play anymore or, or write anymore or eventually she she couldn't use her hands so well and then she couldn't use her words so well even. Yeah. And then she stopped wanting to. Uh. That happened towards in in retro in retrospect towards the end of her life, but that was a real thing of just going, oh, she doesn't even want to, and whether that's because she's tried so many times and been unable to that she right. can't want to anymore, or and just, how just sad
0: that. even that thought is, yeah, because we all know what it's like to want to do something and you know not being able to, and how frustrating it is for me because I have this like my dodgy hips. Sometimes if they're just particularly bad. I, like, it can take me quite a long time to put on my shoes. Like, I mean, 20 yeah. minutes long time. Yeah. And if the dog's in the house and is like, trying to... Like, he's grabbing the shoelaces and I can't quite bend down to do it. And you really feel incapable. But this is, like... That's, like, the smallest, like, window into, like... Yeah. Of course, there's a point where maybe you would give up. If that is it, but you don't know.
1: And if it's inside your own brain. And then there's that... For me, looking at that and the question of, like, would you rather, if you get your leg bitten off by a shark, would you rather feel that, really feel it as Uh it's happening, or would you rather be the person who just walks out of the surf and And it's like, what, what, What? you know? Like, what's more horrifying? What's more grotesque is, you know... (sighs) And so I wrote this piece and then I thought, I've never asked mum. Here's
0: what I'd like just for the yeah. to answer that question. I'd like to be the person, and this is pretty much how I live <laughs> my life, by the way. Here's the big secret. Um, I would like to be the person who walked out of the surf with the leg that was missing and I didn't know that it was missing yeah. and then what later I would do is I would go to the internet I would read about people who had experienced the other thing and then after a while I'd tell that story enough times that I would believe that happened to me <laughs> and I would have this awesome story and I would have experienced it but I wouldn't have had to go
1: through but it. You know, Will you're not allowed to lose a leg at this point people find it difficult oh. enough <laughs> telling the difference between you and Adam Hills you'll
0: love this I was um, on Twitter the other day and Adam Goods uh, the football the amazing footballer who I'd also love to come on this show and uh, Adam Goods. I'm gonna wait a while to ask him I do know a way to ask him I know someone who knows him well but um, I didn't want to feel like to him that I was like jumping in on you know I want to have him on to talk to him in the same way as I would talk to anyone he was had been on my list for this podcast since when I started it so Mm. Um, but I hope at one stage in the future that might happen, but he's become an ambassador for David Jones, the department store in Australia, uh, for our international listeners, Adam Goods, you might know about him. I've talked about him on my other podcast, but Adam Goods is an indigenous player who played in the AFL, who won the highest honor in the AFL twice. He won two premierships, I think as well. Uh, one of the highest played games of all time. Uh, and he was also named Australian of the, uh, one of the greatest honors for a, like a like a currently competing sports person ever and a, an amazing spokesman for indigenous people for, you know, sticking never for self aggrandizing himself always for the sake of his people and taking the opportunity and the voice that he had to make it better for other people. Mm. Uh, there was a racism scandal on the AFL. I, I don't want to get bogged down in the detail. I just want to say that he, he's become an ambassador for this uh, store, David Jones. And in the racists, came out and abused... So on Twitter, I tweeted this. I said, uh, I thought, tongue firmly in cheek, I thought very much enough that everybody would understand. I tweeted... Uh, oh, I saw this. Dear David Jones, I am outraged by your choice. Because I was just parroting the language of what everyone else was. Dear David Jones, I am outraged by the choices of Adam Good's as ambassador. From now on, I will exclusively buy my white sheets... At Maya, which is the other department. Quick, like clan reference, very good. I like that. I should have gone with KKK Mart, but I did not. I (laughs) thought of it later, but uh, (laughs) it was too late then. Everybody got the joke. It was yeah, well, everybody except for this one person who. Was so angry at me and thought I was being a racist, and I didn't want to respond like negatively to them because all they'd done is misconstrued it. And technically, they were on the side of Adam Goods in their response. Do you know what I mean? They just yeah. misinterpreted what I was saying. Yeah. But then that was the first tweet, and I was like, nah let it be."
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then the second one came, oh,
1: wow.
0: and it said, "And by the way, at least Adam Goods has two legs and can kick a football." <laughs> Now that was the moment where I was like, "A, hey, uh, you've just called me on racism, and that's not me. That's the other <laughs> white dude." <laughs> right? Secondly, even if I was Adam Hills, the one, or if I, even if I had one foot. Can't come back on my racism with disability. Like, yeah, no. That's not how it works. It's like uh, in John Ronson's book, you know, uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Yeah. It's that idea of, like, yeah, yeah. it's terrible that the dentist killed Cecil the lion, but you saying that you're going to rape his wife, that's also yeah. terrible.
1: Well, the people who are, like... <laughs>
0: you don't have the right just, you know, like...
1: Pro-lifers who th- who say that, you know, threaten to kill you. Like, you're like... No. Get your principles in line, dude. Right. Like, at least be consistent. I mean... I'm the least consistent person in the world, but at least try to make it look like you're being consistent.
0: I mean, technically, the least consistent person in the world would probably be at least consistent in their inconsistent. Like, yeah. you, you mean? The
1: only thing that is constant is change. Uh, right. To bring it back to You'd be like, done. whatever
0: the, we think that is, it's the opposite. It's
1: the opposite.
0: Uh, okay, so um, it happens. It, you, so I wrote this then, piece
1: for yeah. Splendor, uh, for, and then I thought, I've never asked my mum how she feels about all this stuff and about her using, about me using her as material, which I yeah. hadn't done until then. Not that it was material, it wasn't a funny piece, but I thought oh, I like, was talking about talking her. Talking
0: about her, of course.
1: And, and so I did a podcast with her um, after her first round of chemo when they didn't know that it was terminal yet, but it was not looking good. Uh-huh. So it was like not, not good news and I thought I just need to talk to her about it. Then uh, it was terminal and the next sort of three, four months were that particular thing. Um, and it was a horrible, a horrible cancer in the way that it worked. It was gruesome and grotesque and unpleasant and she dealt with it incredibly well. Then they started saying it's a month or two, a couple of months, maybe a couple of weeks. And I had a Sydney Fringe show coming up. And I thought, maybe I should cancel this. I should I should cancel it because she is dying. And then I thought, well, she's always been dying. Right. She's always been... That's always been my life is, is, is yeah. not knowing and booking things in and, and planning things, knowing that at any time I might have to pull out. Right. And so I thought, well, let's see how it goes. I mean... And then I couldn't... I didn't have a show. Two weeks before the show, I called the Sydney Comedy Festival, uh, and I said, um, I don't have a show, I think I have to pull it. And Shane, who was running it, said, you can cancel five minutes before the doors open, we'll just give people back their money. Which, I mean, that's an incredible thing. That's amazing, right? Yeah. That's amazing. They're lovely people. Yeah, but
0: that's still... Next level. Because also, and I don't know what he thought in that moment, he may have just gone, no, no, well, that's what we do, we're good people and we do that instinctively. Yeah. But maybe he also had some appreciation of where you were in your life and what was going on and thought in that moment doing something good was probably what you fucking needed in your life. I don't know. It may not have been that. It may just have been regular standard policy. Either way, it's a fucking cool thing. It
1: was a really – I will never not appreciate that. And then it was four days before the show and I didn't have anything. I pulled all my jokes down from Twitter. I pulled – you know, just wrote them down in a Word document, SBS articles that I'd written and just had the jokes that I hadn't done on stage before in a pile. And then four days before the first trial, it was billed as a trial, um, it was originally going to be a funny show about self-help and I just had this pile of jokes and no show. And I bumped into a guy that I used to run with. I used to do athletics with this guy and... He said, "What? where are you off to? I said, I'm going to the hospital to visit my mum. She's very sick. And he said, oh, yeah, I'd heard that. And then he kept talking to me about my mum being sick, like he knew all of the things that were going on. Uh, he must have heard through someone at the running squad. And and eventually I got a bit annoyed that he was kept t- telling me about my life, really, and he said, what's, well, what's it, what is it now? And I said, I, they think she has a couple of weeks. And he put his hand on my face and said, well, I believe God heals. And I turned on my heel and walked away. I didn't say anything to him. And I went home and I wrote a show <laughs> that was just... Why why would you say that? Why do people believe things? What is everything? How can how how come I don't believe those things? How come that wasn't a comfort to me? What why would you try to, to make everything how could you think you could make anything right by saying that? How You know
0: you- how you were inspired by that though? Because God sent him <laughs> to deliver you that message knowing that that would inspire you in the way. Because it's all part of God's plan.
1: People have left crucifixes on the stage after the show. Like, genuinely, some people... In appreciation? In appreciation. <laughs> I,
0: I assume so. I assume... It's like throwing undies at Tom Jones.
1: <laughs> I assume so. It's like I got a random dick pic once after a show saying that was a great show. As though that's what you... It's like a bunch oh, of man, flowers.
0: It's a standing ovation of sorts.
1: Yeah, I guess. I assume. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> it's just... So I wrote... I wrote that show I had a pile of jokes Uh on one side and then just the story the raw story on the right hand side and then I that trial show I did kind of on the fly I did the TEDx talk that day Uh um and then I did this trial show that was mum was still alive and I was just talking about what I wanted and, and, and how, I, uh, how I felt compelled to say that I loved her all the time, like all the time, and why that was and what she'd given me and what I could give her, not much. And, and that was that trial show. And then uh, that was on the 28th of September, on the 12th of October, she died. So I rewrote the show. and as i was rewriting it i got to that paragraph that i wrote which was the closing paragraph which is what can i you know what can i give her what i don't necessarily believe in a life after death i don't i don't there's nothing i can give her other than saying i love you and it's never going to be enough you can never fit it in enough and i came to that paragraph when i was rewriting the show trying to figure out what i was going to say and I found myself really reluctant to change that paragraph. And then that became the end of the new show. Why I couldn't change that paragraph? Because in that paragraph I remember what it felt like to be in that moment, knowing that she was still alive, knowing that she was dying, but I'd always known that, so it wasn't really a big deal except that it was. And so not being able to change that paragraph and what what I... What I believe in a sort of a suspended way, like not finishing the show because I don't want easy answers and I didn't want to solve it and I didn't want to fix it and I wanted it to be raw and and brutal and unfinished because that was what it was. And if I could precisely capture that, then it wouldn't be out of control.
0: I had other things I want to ask you, but that's a really nice way to finish, i got to be honest with you. Like, it just feels like that's the finish of what we've done today. That was really beautiful. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, did your dad say it? Yes. Did you swear in it?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: How was that for him? Did you talk to him about how it was for him? He said... I mean, that must be... I mean, I can't imagine. Tell me what...
1: It was harder for my twin. Yep. Yeah. For for Dad, he had a different relationship with Mum. He saw her before she was sick. Uh-huh. So by the time we knew her, she was already sick. So his experience of it all was very different, I think. So he came afterwards and he said that was a, a very good piece of art. Uh-huh. And my brother said, I can see how that was good, but I couldn't enjoy it.
0: Well, I guess, I mean, to be honest, if if he could then like it, you probably weren't telling them the truth. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like for you to be able to tell the truth about where you were at and where he who has had like the closest similar life that anyone can have to yeah. you. Oh yeah. If you were being if he'd enjoyed it. Like yeah. if he'd like, you know I mean that just would have been a sign that something was wrong either with the show or where was he was at in where he was at in that pro you know like
1: well, it's the difference between the kind of offence you feel when you see uh, someone making fun of a black guy on television and the kind of offence you feel if you're the black guy.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like the feelings yeah. that I, you know, I'm. I'm it was a, as honest a show as I could make it and I put as much comedy in as I could to make people listen and pay attention to it. So I'm going from comedy moment to... Reality that kind of playing one against the other so that people will stay on board until I gut punch them.
0: Right, because you're also doing a show.
1: Yeah, but for him, it's not a gut punch. It's no. a gut punch with a knife. Like right. there's not the balance there that there is for. And I'm thinking about, you know, how I'm. How do I balance this for somebody who doesn't know me, who never knew my mum? And I used the clips oh, from absolutely. the podcast. Of I used her voice, and the first clip is her telling me that she's okay with me doing comedy about her. That's the first clip because, Jesus Christ, I had to get that out of the way.
0: No, no, good. You know?
1: (laughs) I said, how do you feel about me doing comedy about you? And she said, I feel strange, um, but I feel okay about it because I trust you. Like, that is important. And the middle bit is her talking about losing her creativity and what that felt like. And the end is her talking about how she feels about death and the fact that she has cancer and anal cancer which is, as she says, not the kind of cancer you want to talk about (laughs) like, it's not a glamorous cancer
0: I mean, seriously. Yeah. That's why there's no fucking God. Yeah. God has a fucking plan. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. My really nice mom had MS and then ass cancer. You know what? If there is a God and he has a plan, fuck him and his ass cancer. I hope he gets ass cancer. What
1: a horrible God. (laughs) Like, how do you have that?
0: Tune in next week as Jared McKenna and I talk heaps about Jesus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a good balance, right? That's what you want.
0: Absolutely. Because Jared
1: came and saw my show as well. A lot of Christians did. Because I mentioned in the blurb that it was about faith, right? right? And some of them did not like it. And Jared, and he brought a whole crew of people from a peace conference, like all, like uh, eight different brands of Christian, and they gave me a standing ovation. It was like, oh, good. Got. I mean, people. they were from a peace
0: conference. Yeah, true. They're yeah. hardly going to get really angry after. <laughs> the <easy>. irony. No, <laughs> hang They're on, easy. you're from
1: the peace conference. They're a pretty easy audience. Okay,
0: here's the only thing we haven't done. Well, two things that we haven't done. Let's do both of them. Uh, Firstly, where can people find you? You've mentioned your podcast a few times. Tell people about that. What's it called? Where can they find it? You know, all that sort of information.
1: Uh, It's called Tea with Alice. uh, And if you type in Alice Fraser podcast on the internet, it should bring it up. I have a a website called alicecomedyfraser.com and that's my my hub. Or you can follow me on Twitter. Okay, there
0: you go. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Uh, I've loved this podcast for a, a whole bunch of different reasons. I knew when I asked you um, that it would be good. I had a, I had a good feeling. I felt like we'd have an interesting conversation. And I hope there's been interesting for people who maybe be only stumbling upon you, you know, for the first time, I hope. And I hope that people are going to, you know, go out and find your work after this. But I love this podcast for another reason, because... We, and it's so thematic to what we've spoken about today about you and your organised chaos and me, my <laughs> throwing out the fucking form and seeing where it goes. We've got to the end, Alice, but I haven't asked you the question I'm meant to ask at the start. Yes. Do you have a philosophy? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think, I, think I, I have two kinds. One is the stuff that I actually believe and the rest is the stuff that I need to keep thinking to counteract all the stuff that I actually am.
0: I love that it like started pretentious and ended pretentious. That's what I like. (laughs) No, um, I love it. Uh, Thank you very much for being on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, I am going to put this up um, today or tomorrow, so I should mention this. Uh, I am doing a very short series of my political will show uh, at the Giant Dwarf Theatre, which is the Chasers Theatre. The Fridays and Saturdays, both weekends. It's the first two weekends of November. Fridays and Saturdays are both sold out, uh, which means there are about 150 tickets left for the two Thursday shows. But uh, today, so on the final Saturday, can't remember what the date is. You'll have to look it up. But on the final Saturday, maybe the 17th? I don't know. I'm guessing the 13th, the 14th. It's somewhere around there. Find out what Saturday is. Look it up. But anyway, Anyway, the Saturday Night Show sold out, but we're going to film it because I've had to put so much work into fucking rewriting this show because Malcolm Turnbull got rid of Tony Abbott and all my jokes, so... We decided we might as well film it and put it up some of it up for free on the internet afterwards. So on that Saturday night, uh, we're going to film it. So we're putting on an extra show, seeing we have to hire the film crew anyway. Six o'clock Saturday night, we'll film both. Uh, so there will be tickets available to that pretty much now. So if you want to come and see Political Will on the Saturday night, Justin Hamilton's going to do support. It'll be a great night and we're going to film it. So if you could come to that, that'd be cool. Um, all right, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.